When I was the associate rector at Christ Church in Dearborn, we got together for several summers with a number of other parishes and did vacation Bible school. We wrote our own curriculum, and one year we wrote what was known as the Exodus Adventure. When we gathered with the children, they made robes and bricks out of mud and straw. They made sandals. One morning, we marched around the church several times, blowing the shofar, and the kids let us get away with it, even though the walls of the church did not tumbling down as they did in the Bible. Each morning, I dressed up like Moses and told a different part of that story, and as the day unfolded, the fifth grade class would often find me. They were writing a newspaper about the Exodus adventure. <clears throat> but the highlight was on Thursday evening when we invited the children, their parents, and grandparents to come together and celebrated what we had created and learned. The grandparents oohed nod over the bricks and read that newspaper. But the real highlight of the evening was the play that the junior high class had written to tell the story. I knew it was going to be fun when we had to delay the play for 10 minutes because God had lost his copy of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> it started out with Moses and Aaron coming in, speaking to Pharaoh and demanding that the children of Israel be let go. And of course, he, confused, he, he refused. Moses and Aaron left. Pharaoh sat down on this wonderful lounge chair and started to eat grapes by the shovelful and pour juice all over himself as if it were a Roman orgy. In came Moses and Aaron again, threatened the plagues. Pharaoh just blew them off. And Moses and Aaron exited stage left. That was the era when every child had somewhere between six and a dozen beanbags. And when, when Pharaoh sat back in his throne, these green frog beanbags started raining over the backdrop until he was entirely covered with green and said, let him go, vamoose those children. The children of Israel gathered, and some other of the kids had taken blue streamers, and they were going up and down with them like the walls of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel passed through, and of course the sea came tumbling down around the Egyptians and the chariots. But it got really interesting when we got to Mount Sinai. Moses 
climbed the mountain, a ladder, and God started dictating the Ten Commandments. Moses said, slow down, God, I can't chisel that fast. <laughs> then there was the, uh, God, uh, is this adultery thing just for adults or does it relate to children? And then, uh, oh, God, uh, how do you spell covet? It was getting funnier as we went along. Finally, Moses comes down from the mountain, and there the rest of the kids had taken a chair, turned it upside down, covered it with gold foil, and they were all on their knees going up and down saying, holy cow, holy cow, holy cow. Moses approaches, takes one look at the children of Israel, one look up at God, another look at the children of Israel, and then lifted up those two plaster of Paris tablets on which he had chiseled the Ten Commandments and smashed them on the floor. Looked up at God, and in the midst of the silence, looked at the children of Israel, and then only as a middle schooler could say, now look what you made me do. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I ever laughed so hard in my life. And I'm sure those kids will remember that story forever. And in our lesson this morning, as well as Justino read it, we have a somewhat more sedate version of that same story. If you look carefully at the Ten Commandments, which really did not have a prominent place in Christianity till maybe the 11th century, you'll see that there are some difficulties. In spite of those difficulties, and I'm sure as you all know, the Ten Commandments were very important to the founding fathers of our nation. If you go in the most Georgian architect, architecture churches like our own and look on the east wall, you will often find the tablet about our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor on the other side. Certainly, if you go into St. Paul's Chapel, the one that became so famous in New York City as the feeding station and the prayer station after 9-11. And look behind the altar, there on the wall, in a pyramid, actually, you'll find the Ten Commandments. One of the things that I was most excited about when our new prayer book came out in 1973 was the modernization of the Ten Commandments. If each of you would grab your prayer book, a small black book in the pews, and turn to page 847. Those who write catechisms in England and in our country got together. 
First question, 847. What is our duty to God? Our duty to God is to believe and trust in God, to love and obey God, and to bring others to know him, to put nothing in the place of God. That's about idolatry in the old version, but we do that with possessions, often with our careers, put nothing in the place of God. To show God respect in thought, word, and deed, and to set aside regular times for worship, prayer, and the study of God's ways. The second half, what is our duty to our neighbors? Our duty to our neighbors is to love them as ourselves and to do to other people as we wish them to do to us. In the old form, honor your father and mother was the original social security system, encouraging people to take care of their parents after they were no longer productive. See what they've done here and what a wonderful teaching tool this is as we discuss values with our peers, our children, and grandchildren. To love, honor, and help our parents and family. To honor those in authority and to meet their just demands. To show respect for the life God has given us. To work and pray for peace. To bear no malice, prejudice, or hatred in our hearts, and to be kind to all the creatures of God. To use all bodily desires as God intended. To be honest and fair in all our dealings. To seek justice, freedom, and the necessities of life for all people. And to use our talents and possessions as ones who must answer for them to God. To speak the truth, and equally importantly, not to mislead others by our silence. To resist temptations to envy, greed, and jealousy. To rejoice in other people's gifts and graces and to do our duty for the love of God who has called us into fellowship with him. I really think they have done a wonderful job and given us a teaching tool and a foundation upon which we can build our society and organizations. I find it extremely helpful and hopeful. And at this point, I probably should sit down, but I can't. Those of you who have taken some time to get to know me over the last few months have known that I have been deeply worried, as I know have many of you 
been about what is happening in our country, the bickering, the partisanship, the refusal to look at what is really going on and to collaborate for meaningful options. And I wanted to speak to this and knew I had to if I was going to be a valued pastor. But I couldn't because the only voices I heard in my head were partisan voices. And I knew that wouldn't be helpful and certainly not appropriate. Starting last Sunday, voices on the right and on the left are beginning to say some similar things. And I think we all need to look at this. There was a discussion about the riots in London and Wisconsin and Greece, about the anger in China, about the train crash in Shanghai, about the Tea Party. And somebody said, well, all of those are separate events, and each of them has their own explanation and rationale. And then the voices started to say, yes, but look at them more clearly. We are seeing people in the Arab Spring and around the world saying the leadership class is not serving all of God's people. They've got old answers for yesterday's problems. Incredibly partisan, feathering their own nests and their supporters. And what is beginning to emerge is the awareness that the issues are different and that they are large and the people are demanding that the leaders be wiser and more honest and more collaborative. I think there's a lot of disruption still to come. But hearing Fareed Zakaria and David Brooks from different spectrums on the right and left name the same phenomenon, I think is a very hopeful sign. And I hope you will spend time praying about it and seeing how together we can encourage our leaders to leave a world for our children and grandchildren that is much more valuable and valued than the bickering we've been doing a lot of. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.